Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, guys. and Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. Today, I have an anonymous guest with me. Every time I go to say that, I'm like, anonymous, and just trip all over the words. But I have an anonymous guest here with me today. And hi, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Would you be able to tell me a little bit about your lived experience and what you're here to chat about today? Yeah, so... um I was brought up mainly by my grandparents um, up until the age of two and a half when my mum and my dad then got married. My, I don't know my biological dad. He decided he didn't want to be in the picture um, mm-hmm. when I was born. Um, then came two sisters, uh, and so technically they're my half-sisters, and a stepbrother, so from my dad's first marriage. Yeah. He moved into our family home from the age of four. I was four. He was seven, I think. He sexually abused me um, uh, from the ages of, I would say, four and a half to six and a half. I was told very clear by him and his best friend that um I wasn't to tell anybody mm-hmm. um his best friend also sexually abused me who um happened to live a couple of doors up from us actually um like any uh abuser it was all a big secret and if I let um anyone know then there'd be drastic consequences and it's my fault and um one day in school, I disclosed, disclosed it to my best friend who had the sense as a six and a half, seven year old to then go to their teacher and tell the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so that day I came home and social services and the police were there and there was an investigation carried out. But due to my stepbrother's mum living um, elsewhere in the country, he was allowed to stay in our family home until another safe place was found for him. So although I disclosed years of abuse, he still lived with us for another two, three weeks after that. 
and our family carried on like it was a day in the zoo. Um, it just happened and that was that and nothing ever really came of it. My stepbrother got sent away to live with his mum and we moved away from the area. Uh, my dad had a job uh, that required us to move quite often. So um, we moved away from the area um, and then started living a life that was fantastic, you know, new experiences, new school, new friends, new beginnings. I joined the local Brownie um, organisation and unfortunately my Brownie leader, who was also my babysitter, then abused me also. She was 16 at the time and her reasoning for it was that she was experimenting. I was a nine-year-old girl, so, but I never disclosed that. I thought because of the experience of disclosing it from my stepbrother and not anything really changing and him still living with us and um, that there was no point in disclosing it. Uh, my <clears throat> my mind very much taught me very quickly um, that it was a secret to be never to be told. Unfortunately, that came to bite me on the ass a little bit later in life when I ended up having my own children. So we moved back down to our hometown after a while because of dad's job. Mum and dad were having various affairs. They each knew that they were sleeping with different people. They had a bit of a turbulent marriage. Dad was an alcoholic um, and listening to your podcast, I think mum learning that mum was a bit of a sex addict. She uh, used to read... Uh, books to us or myself in bed um, and then masturbate after reading a book with me next to her and that was normal for her we I knew everything about her relationships Um, I knew everything about the man she was sleeping with or where they would go out on a date or what they would get up to on a date and this is all from the age of seven to when I moved out at the age of 18, 19, you know, it's a very open relationship. I then sort of started growing up and I went to secondary school uh, and I got myself some boyfriends. And the first, the my first serious boyfriend, we, he found me on a night out. Uh, he decided to uh, pour Smirnoff in my eyes and then he sexually abused me in the back streets of our hometown. I disclosed this to my family and my family encouraged me to continue to have a relationship with him because it was a good relationship and I was finally finding myself and I was being a woman and living my life. He, over our one and a half year relationship, he sexually abused me several times. Mm-hmm. Um because of my past traumas, I was never, never a girl that wanted to have sex. You know, it wasn't an interest to me. I, I'm i more of a hot chocolate and Chinese sort of girl. And he didn't like that. So he decided to sexually abuse me. I then moved on to my next partner who um, vowed to be very, very different to everybody. And I finally thought that I'd find found the one um we went on a 
day trip um, somewhere and he decided to uh, sexually abuse me on the trip on the way home because I didn't want to uh, go into the toilets and have sex with him. So he forced himself on me. And then to top that up, he then slept with my mum and then compared myself and my mum together. So that was a bit kick in the teeth. And then my final boyfriend before meeting my husband now was he also sexually abused me because I cooked his pizza wrong um, and, again, didn't want to follow his advances. Um, So all these experiences sort of built lots of boundaries, lots of walls up, which, thankfully, my husband has um, managed to save me from. And we now have a beautiful home and beautiful children and a dog and everything that um, men didn't teach me, all the men that I should have trusted as a child or people I should have looked up to, um, he has managed to absolutely do that. So yeah, that's a little bit about my life story. I'm really sorry that you went through all of that and that that sexual abuse had become so normalised in your life that shouldn't happen to anyone and that you talked about the experiences with your mum and her kind of reading stories to you or or books to you they were explicit books were they that were as a child they were like it was uh Mills and Boons it was a bit like the uh the greys of NAF you know um it yeah but books as a seven-year-old, yeah, books yeah, as a seven-year-old, it wasn't Biff and Kipper, you know, yeah. it wasn't the Gruffalo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gruffalo I can get on board with, absolutely nobody wants Chip and Biff and Kipper, nobody. But <laughs> again, it's that level of inappropriate, and that is what we would consider covert sexual abuse. So you have all of these messages that normalise this kind of sexual abuse this kind of behaviour and these messages that your body is not your own and that you are not in charge of any of these things you know it was completely normalised in a way when you had the experience with your stepbrother and it was just carried on for a couple of weeks of oh well he can't stay here because you know he's done a bit of a naughty so he'll have to go and stay with his mum but just in the meantime and when it's dismissed so quickly and then again and again and again it really compounds this message to us that we don't matter and that it's it's okay and especially from such a young age just that message that this is okay. This is like you say, normal behavior. And it's up until uh, recently, actually, that when I was growing up, I had a lot of aunties and uncles in inverted commas. Um, they were mum and dad's friends. They weren't any relation mm. to us. Um, and it's, uh, they used to come into our house and an uncle um, bought my first bra and they taught me how to wipe my private parts. And it's only up until now I've realised that that wasn't a normal childhood experience. You know, my dad's best friend shouldn't have bought my first bra set. No. You know, um, so it's little things like that that I'm learning that, like you said, my body was never my own up until the age of 23 when I married. Um you know, and as a result of that, um, I've got disordered eating and I've got complex PTSD and uh, personality disorder and 
there's lots of different effects that years and years of traumatic invalidation have had on me that I'm only just realizing now yeah and it's like you say it's when you you come out of that situation and you become older and you're able to reflect on these experiences even up to only recently you've always not you've always internalized it and normalized it and looked back and now as an adult who's out of that situation who has that healthy dynamic within a relationship who is responsible for their own children you can look back and go wow no some random guy who yes might have been a close family friend but who was not my parent who should never have had that kind of role who was just given the title of uncle because he was friend. And I think that's something that a lot of us can recognize, even if we haven't had the experiences of sexual abuse, that there are these people that come in and are kind of placed in this role where you are told, oh, this person's really important to you. They're the auntie or the uncle when they're no such thing. They're just a friend of your, your parents. And then they come in and out of your life because parents fall out with them. And it's like, but that, that was my auntie, wasn't it? No, not really. And it's a really bizarre dynamic but no, absolutely. Teaching you to wipe and, and buying bras and things like that for you, again, is an example of overstepping those boundaries and not allowing you to have that those caregivers, but spreading that care, and I use the term loosely because it's not care, out amongst random people that absolutely shouldn't have been involved in any of these things. And the, the way it's affected me, both my children have got additional needs. Um, so... I, my daughter is uh, in her teenage years um, and I still have to bath her and uh, uh, shave her and wash mm-hmm. her, et cetera. Um, and it's, I catch myself thinking, is this normal behaviour? And I'm just thinking, well, it is because, you know, there's not 40,000 strings attached to mm-hmm. what I'm doing here. Um, so as a parent, it's affected me. You look at situations and you think, yeah I had it really bad as a child and when they're kicking up a fuss because the elf didn't bring what the elf was meant to bring last night um you sort of you become a little bit better and think well okay that yeah you live with that I had to do x y and z um but I'm working through that I and I'm I I live to give my children a such a safe caring environment I probably overstepped the mark a little bit by buying them toys that they don't need and, you know, treating them beyond the realms of being treated sometimes. But Mm. I think in my head, I need to do that to make sure that, you know, they're never going to have experiences like I ever needed to. And it, I think, again, regardless of whether or not there has been overt or covert sexual abuse or it's a, any kind of experience that you've had growing up in a dynamic where you've been abused, regardless of the type of abuse, there is this fear as a parent that you're not doing what's right, that you're not doing what's necessary, that you're overstepping, that you're underperforming, that you are not navigating it 
in a way that will stop your children from feeling the way that you felt, will stop your children and protect them from feeling that way. And you mentioned like when you're having to bathe, those are caregiving acts that are necessities because your child has additional needs. And yet there's still that part of you that questions, am I okay to do this? Is this the right thing? Because it sits with you forever, regardless of the kind of experiences you've had, in the back of your mind, you will always have, am I like them? And I think that's so difficult to break away from when you become a parent yourself, especially when we're taught to internalize these things like, oh, it must be my fault. You'd mentioned that when you had the first kind of first love relationship and there was abuse there, uh, you were given the message from your parents that, but you're finding yourself, you're becoming a woman, you, you know, relationships are complicated and you, you just need to stick at it absolutely not but that's that internalization again of well it must be a you problem so you've just got to put up with it yeah and my uh stepbrother is very still much welcomed into the family he mm. comes to christmas events and birthdays and weddings funerals etc um so there's never been that validation ever in my life um and especially when I did find my boyfriend and um, <laughs> my mum used to stick me on the train to go and visit him and he lived away from us. After knowing what he'd done, um, I've received many toxic messages from my parents over the years um, to say that if I was better behaved, then maybe this wouldn't have happened or mm. if... Um, because my dad worked away a lot. Um, if I gave my mum five minutes peace, then she wouldn't have had to rely on my stepbrother to put us to bed. And so I've never, you you learn quickly to internalise everything. Um, and it might just be the smallest of things you internalise, but that your mind turns into the biggest of things. And yeah, it's hard work sometimes. It's very hard work. Yeah. It is. And as you say, there's that complete lack of accountability as well. There's no validation there for, gosh, this experience was horrific for you. And then the accountability of, I'm so sorry that we put you in that position. And I, I've always said to people, when we parent, the way that we were brought up was with a lot of you statements a lot of you should have done this if you had given this um you know the five minutes piece if you had behaved better i wouldn't have reacted that way and yet when we look at spousal relationships we're taught you know oh well an abuser will say you made me do it but that's essentially what our parents said to us you made me act this way you made me behave that way i was lonely if you had been better and you had done this i wouldn't have acted that way and it's absolute bullshit absolute bullshit and it, it's abuser 101 and yet when we look at it from a spousal relationship and we speak to people who work in domestic violence and all these things they will tell you the classic is you made me do it but when we look at parental relationships and we know that kids can be bloody hard you know God, nobody can claim that parenting is easy. You're dealing with all your own stuff and you're dealing with all of your own mental health, your own difficulties, your own hormones early on in the stages. You know, there's so many things going on for you. 
none of which are your child's responsibility. And children are dealing with all their own stuff of navigating this world. How frustrating must it be to be a toddler and want something and not be able to articulate it or tell someone, you know, of course you're gonna throw a tantrum. All of these things, when we look at them objectively and outside of the moment, make perfect sense. But in the moment, it also makes sense that sometimes we lose our shit. But that would have always been for our parents, you made me do that. Yet for us, it's now about taking accountability and having those I statements. I felt really overwhelmed in that moment, and that's why I lost my temper. But we don't get that from toxic parents. We don't get that from people who are completely unwilling to self-reflect. And that lack of self-reflection, lack of validation, lack of accountability is abuse in and of itself. And I was very much brought up that to respect elders, you know, oh. what your mum and dad said, what your grandparents said, what your auntie and uncles said, or build down the shop, you know, that was what... Yeah had to happen you weren't to question that and if you were to question that then you'd go to your room or sit on the noise there or get a smack bum or whatever you know there was so as a reflection there's so many people coming in and out of my house mm. you know that would just come in and out do their thing you know and off out they would go again um and I never questioned one of them because I was taught very much so that you're not to question them, you know. And the people that were coming in and, my, in and out of my house were people of authority, mm. you know. They lived in the street or I used to play with their kids or, you know. So it's people that I should have turned to when I was needed the most or, you know, they would do whatever they'd done to me and then I'd go around their house and ask for a cup of sugar. Yeah. That's the sort of uh, the relationship that I had with my elders. You know, I, it, yeah. And only now am I learning um, to put boundaries up, especially with my own parents, both for my mental health and my children's mental health. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm going to be the best mum I'm going to be, then I'm going to protect them from these people that clearly didn't have my intentions, my best intentions on their forefront of their mind. Um, I went through a bit of a grieving process because you sort of, you have these rose-tinted glasses on for ages that, you know, one day they're going to wake up and you're going to get that validating text or you're going to get that hug or you're going to get, you know, I'm proud of you. But after a while, you, you realise it's not coming. And so you do grieve for the parents and especially this time of year when all the nice family films are on and you know they're all sitting by the fire and singing Christmas carols you you do start to process that I'm never going to get that but I am because I've got my own little family I can do it with and there is a, that kind of Christmas vibe where there are so many messages in films where if everybody just had a little bit of a bend, you know, if everybody was just a bit more understanding of, oh, well, this is why dad was upset because, you know, he, he's had it real rough. And no, it's not reality, but it is the message that we're sold that if we were all just a bit more understanding, which is, is great. 
if we're all willing to be understanding you know you can look at your parents experiences and it comes back to that saying that I'm so fond of that I'm sure everybody is rolling their eyes at me saying yet again that we can have empathy without enabling and we can have compassion without being complicit in someone's abuse we can look back at our parents and their experiences and go that explains why they became the way that they did. You know, your dad was perhaps avoidant and went off to work and did all these things. Perhaps there was something in your mum's history that made her behave the way she did and be sexually abusive, albeit covertly. And them allowing other people into this situation where they had no boundaries. Sure, great. We can have compassion for that whilst also looking at it and saying, Jesus Christ, you know, that wasn't okay. And there needs to be some accountability for that without being complicit in that abuse and saying, well, you know, it happened. It doesn't matter anymore. It absolutely matters because you matter. And that's the thing. We're taught that because we're taught we don't matter when we've been abused, that it's everybody else's needs above our own. That gets brushed under the carpet and forgotten about. And it's so frustrating because there is that grieving process of, of looking at what should have been and how your childhood should have been and that hope and holding on to what could be if these people were different and if these people could behave differently. And also there is grief, I think, in accepting what is and isn't in the realm of our control and what is and isn't in the realm of our responsibility. It's not your responsibility to forgive and forget to change the way that things are and it's not within your control either so it's it's being able to kind of let go of that a bit and accept that that's not going to change and you can't do anything about it which is really scary and it is it's I was always uh, a mother role to my two younger sisters so I used to get quite severely punished if I didn't have the clean PE kit ready mm, or yeah. ready and not only is it the grief from realizing that the parents that you deserve are never going to be the parents that you know they should be it's the grief realizing that the parents that my sisters deserved and you know I was I'm never going to be a substitute to my mum and dad to them so it's a bit of a it's a weird sort of grief you're grieving for people the people that probably don't even realize that they need to be grieving right now they're not there on their journey and when they come to me and go why are you feeling so sad and you know you have to bite your tongue because they have to get there in their own time mm. you know I'm not gonna sit there and list everything that happened to me um if they're in their heads and not ready to hear it so you know I'm I'm grieving for my sisters as well as myself mm. and that's it's it's a sad process to go through but it's the one that's going to make this whole realization so much easier because as soon as the realization comes that you know the the childhood that you so desperately deserved was never it wasn't the one you got and you got cheated out of all those childhood experiences you sort of learn to accept it a little bit and then it doesn't eat you up inside you so much and you can sort of proceed a little bit more mindfully and better. Yeah. And you've, like you said before, you've got your own family 
at this point. And I think there is healing and power in creating that relationship and those those healthy relationships, despite the fact that you've had these experiences before. But it is a process and it's something that takes time to get there. Do your siblings um, still have contact with your parents and do you still have any contact with them? Um, so my siblings have limited contact with my parents. We both realised, we all realised um, a couple of years ago that we could probably do us and our families a lot better than what our mum and dad could give us. Um, and they're both successful and they've got their families and they've got their houses. And um, I have very limited contact with my mum and dad. Um we see each other when we have to see each other and even then I've sort of passed the responsibility on a little bit to my husband so he does the meets and greets uh with the grandchildren he does the present swapping or uh whatever it's quite a hard conversation to have with your daughter that she wants to spend time with her grandparents and myself sort of saying well because of x y and z I need to we need to put boundaries in right now and we will meet in a public coffee shop and we will have a hot chocolate or you'll see them when we go down the park. And especially with my daughter who has got additional needs, her um, her learning age is very much younger. So she is still very much, well, that's her granny, you know, mm-hmm. granny makes cakes and, you know, does fish fingers and chips and beans for tea. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to find the middle ground when you have children who have also asked questions but you don't want to steal their childhood away by uploading all your trauma onto them so we do see them ever so often but thankfully yeah my husband does most of the meets which is great for me yeah it's difficult isn't it because it's finding a balance between having that relationship and not having that relationship and knowing whether or not it's safe and okay for your children to have that relationship how do you navigate that when they're asking questions I think quite often for us we don't have any contact and our children don't have contact but quite often there's almost a an attitude of this is how it should look and you know if you're no contact we kids must be no contact and you have to do that and it doesn't necessarily work for every single person there are so many different ways that this situation looks and is navigated to find a path that works for your family. And I really like what you said about finding kind of a neutral or a safe space. So like you say, you go, you have your hot chocolate. There's kind of a, you know, that that manageability in that. And it, it took me ages to put my boundaries up with them because of this respect to elders. It's your mum, you know, you only get one mum and when mm-hmm. she dies, you always regret it. And la da 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 everything that we're taught from when we're taught our ABCs. Um, and only recently have I felt comfortable doing that. Um, I'm, I know they are no risk to me now, and I know they are no risk to my children, but I needed to put boundaries up so they realise that their actions have consequences and their past actions have had consequences. And it works well for us. You know, it satisfies the kids' needs to see their grandparents, and it satisfies my mum and dad's needs because they're never really being maternal anyway. So a coffee shop, hot chocolate and a trip to the park for an ice cream, that is enough for them. Mm, yeah. 
And I think you'd said there about you're only just starting to put those boundaries into place. I can imagine that must feel quite empowering, but also maybe a bit scary to begin with. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, I sleep much better now because I'm not waiting for that toxic text or the letter through my door or whatever, whatever their next plan would have been. I, by putting them boundaries up, I feel safer in my own home and I feel safer in my own head. It's a very lonely world when you have a really good bit of news and you've got no one to ring to go, oh, mum, you know, I got a new job or, you know, I've done this today or I achieved this today. Um, but I'm learning that there's other people you can ring to say that news. You, I don't need to rely on the people that I would have rang and said I got a new job and then it would have come with a ton of judgment or invalidation, which would have taken the spark away from anyway. But it's it's a bit of a natural habit to want to ring your mum and dad, whether regardless of what response you got to anyway. Yeah, it, it's getting there. I'm learning. Yeah. And it's that it's, it does go back to that respect your elders and that kind of shaming of this is your mum and dad. You only get one. Therefore, they should be your first port of call. I really hate the phrase respect your elders. I've talked about it a few times and that it's a phrase that we will never, ever teach our children because it is one of the phrases that we use to silence people. We use it to stop children from questioning behavior. And in turn, that creates scenarios where they're at risk. Um. But we do have that kind of attitude that's instilled in us from when we are tiny, that we should have a relationship with our parents that looks a certain way. We should always want to contact them, especially when there has been that kind of emotional incest and that sexual abuse. They're very much your first port of call for everything. You're treated like the spouse, if you like, like the stand-in as a relationship. And it's so confusing and sends all those messages that they should be the first one that you contact when you have something excitement, exciting. And yet, as you say, there are other people that you can, but there is a kind of loneliness that sits around that. Absolutely. And it's all over social media and that, you know, you should pick your friends and toxic friendships are never the best and, you know, blah, de, blah, de, blah. But no one's, no one ever really focuses on the toxic mother mm. or the toxic dad it took me ages to realize that you only get one mum and dad but with that I don't need to put up with that shit yeah you know I don't need to be the parent and I don't need to be the adult in this situation I was that for very so many years it's time for them to start realizing their part in all this and until they realize that then these boundaries are going to be put up because they don't deserve me in my life their lives mm -hmm. and they don't deserve my children in their lives because we all have the the need to change if you want to change and at the moment they're still playing the the children in this whole family so yeah it's lonely but it's necessary mm -hmm. totally is necessary yeah it's that necessity and it's about protecting yourself and about finally putting yourself first. And I think that makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a hard journey and it's hard slug sometimes. And it's even harder when you've got children on board because you lose that free childcare, which we all need sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and you lose all the things that, 
you think you need a mum and dad to do. But until you've put them boundaries up and realised, actually, you're pretty capable of doing them yourself. Yeah. Um, that's when the the positiveness of this whole situation sort of comes out. You you find yourself rather than being the shadow of somebody else's. Yeah, that's a really, really poignant way of putting it is you find yourself rather than being in the shadow of someone else's. I love that. And I think looking at the practical side of these estrangements, we're taught, oh, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, it takes a village to do this. But what happens when you don't have that village? And that's the reality of estrangement for a lot of people. And there are lots of feelings of resentment there that you don't necessarily have this childcare or if it would be offered, it can't be trusted or you don't have the financial support even of, of parents in some cases. You know, you don't have the emotional support. That's really difficult to navigate. And it is kind of the, the practical side of estrangement and things like that that are so often overlooked because you don't want to sound ungrateful, you know, you don't want to sound like a spoiled brat because you've always been told that's what you are. But it is the truth. You know, other people might navigate life differently because they have that emotional support. They have that childcare. They have that financial support if necessary. And you don't have any of that when you have a toxic family. Or if you do, it's weaponized or it comes with strings or it comes with some kind of threat to your emotional or physical well-being. Yeah, and when uh, me and my husband got married he's still very very close to his parents mm. so my children have them in their lives um at a drop of a hat but I remember feeling very very uh jealous of their relationship um of how close they can be and how they can sit around at a dining room table and get all their thoughts and feelings out and be validated and I mm. I went into the marriage one, feeling very jealous, but two, feeling very overwhelmed because I wasn't used to that. It, it was a whole new being of what a family could be. You know, even on the good days, my family was still very dysfunctional. Yeah, so I still have, you know, they can still come down and babysit the kids. They don't live where we live. Um, and people that have got that financial or emotional help from their parents congratulations you know i'm i'm never dissing or never taken away a fantastic positive relationship with your parents um but people that haven't got it don't think that you can't do it because you can it just takes a little bit more sweat and tears but everyone's capable of everything thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today no worries. Enjoyed Thank it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm really pleased that you came on to have a chat because I think there's so much power in some of the things that you've said and those reaffirming messages that, yes, there is that grief. Yes, there is this process that we go through when we have experienced abuse, but that you can come out the other side of it with those boundaries. You can come out the other side of it, trusting in yourself a bit better, knowing things that you can move forwards and that you can do the things that you need to do without that or in spite of those experiences I think that's a really important message because especially at this time of year it can feel so overwhelming sometimes but you can do this and you are not just the product of the experiences that you had as a child you have the choice and the ability the opportunity to shape your own life now absolutely and yeah anyone can achieve anything you just have to put your mind to it um, 
and you don't have to pass on the trauma and the experiences you had and make it your life. Hmm. You can start your life at any age, whether you're 15, 50 or 95. Yeah. It's never too late to be who you want to be. Yeah. And to discover yourself as well, who you really are, because so often when we grow up in these toxic environments, we don't have a sense of self. Our self has been completely sacrificed in order to cater to everyone else's needs. But you are never too late to discover who you really are and to move forward more authentically. So thank you so much for sharing your experience today. No worries. Right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And I will speak to you again next week. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.